Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. Today, my guest is a singer, a songwriter, arranger, vocal producer, just an all-around Renaissance woman and someone I'm very, very, very proud to call a friend, Miss Maya Sykes. Maya, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me once again. This is one of my favorite uh, shows. Oh, thank you. Glad that we're able to do a one-on-one because we haven't we haven't done this yet. And I'm excited about it. And, you know, I, there's a couple of things I, I want to say about Maya. First of all, once you are her friend, you are her friend. And that became so evident to me during the pandemic after I gave birth to Sienna because this woman brought me groceries multiple times, like, just, uh, just like, what do you need? And I was like, oh, let me Venmo you. And she like would never give me her Venmo. <laughs> she was like, you had a baby. And it, I mean, but it was so kind of you. And like, I cannot begin to tell you how much it meant to me that you did that. So she's just a true friend. Like, seriously, it's, you're the sweetest, the sweetest thing. But also I have to tell you this story and I've never told you this. And so I'm excited to share this with the listeners too. <laughs> When I first went to Sarah's and heard you sing, I was like, oh my God, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Right. And this was like way back when. Right. And I had lived in New York, lived in Chicago. Then I came home and I eventually I met Rod. I I met Dez. And so I finally started going to Sarah's maybe like four or five years ago. And you were there and I was like, oh, I really want to meet her. Like anytime I see like a a talented black woman, I'm like, I need to just snatch her up and have her in my circle because I just, I love having beautiful black women in my life. Right. And so I met you and you were so nice. And I was like, oh, I'm Melinda. And you're you're like, Maya, nice to meet you. Then a couple of weeks went by and I came back again. And in those type of environments, I just, I have social anxiety. It's just not my thing. Right. And I feel like I always like am invisible to a sense, but I I went up to you and I was like, oh, hi. Like I met you a couple weeks. I'm willing to go. And you're like, I remember. And it made me feel so seen and validated because I feel like people, I feel like I've I've forgotten a lot and you never forgot my name. Yeah. And you never forgot my name for that moment. And I just like, it's a testament to who you are and how you treat people. And I like, I will never forget that. It just, it made me feel so good. So I just wanted to say thank you. I love that. That makes me so happy. Oh, (laughs) but it's a testament to who you are. And, and I think that that's why people just love being around you and love working with you. And, um, so just, you know, keep being who you are. Do not change Miss Maya Sykes. (laughs) Of course. But I want to talk a little bit about your musical journey and kind of what led you to wanting to be in the music industry full-time because we all know this isn't the best and fun industry, you know? (laughs) So I just talk a little bit about your trajectory and how you've gotten to this moment. Well, I will say I did come by it from genetics. Like, I mean, my family was in music and in the arts and I was always around actors, musicians, performers, as far back as I can remember. So I think it was one of those things where uh, I was reading this book on, um, it's a genetics book, and it was talking about how genetics come into a play, but so do environmental stimuli and why a person becomes who they become. You know what I mean? And you can always say like, okay, somebody might display a certain amount of genius and that might just be because genetically they're predisposed to do that. But then if you also look in their background and see that they had parents who were scientists and who did da 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 
mm-hmm. and played neurological games and blah, 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 and did cognitive reasoning when they were two. Okay, then their genius makes a little bit more sense because it was both from a genetic point of view and it was from environmental stimuli. So I definitely am a person who my father is a musician and a singer. My mother is an actor and a singer. Um, I can definitely say I got it genetically, but I think it solidified because of the environments I was always in. And those were always performance-based places. So in terms of education, I know you went to Yale, correct? I did. Which is unbelievable. I love that. So what made you choose that school? Uh, my mother actually. Really? (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, I remember, uh, I got into, uh, I, I went to a school called Crossroads for high school. Um, and I had a wonderful guidance counselor named Alvin. I still love him to this very day. And I was going to apply to Stanford as like my dream school. And ironically, of the schools that Alvin got me to apply to, Stanford's the only one I didn't get into. Um, And he looked at my SAT scores and my grades and my community service. And he said, well, I know that, you know, you're thinking maybe you could go to Temple or go to University of Berkeley. And those are all great places, but I'm going to get you some vouchers. And I think you should apply to Harvard. I think you should apply to Yale, Cornell. So then he started getting these half vouchers. And my mother, I didn't know this at the time, but my mother got an over like a part-time job because every time you have a college um, application, I want to say it's like, I don't know how much it is now, but when I was in high school, I want to say it was 85 or $95. I feel like it's like 150 now. Yeah. And that makes total sense to me. And so I applied to 14 colleges. And so I got waivers for maybe about six of those, but the rest of it, my mom was coming out the pocket mm. and Alvin was finding like waivers where he could um, and then talking to alumni where he could being like, I really think you should strongly consider this person. Um, and then I remember <laughs> the day before my Harvard interview, I got in a really bad car accident and um I had to reschedule the interview and then I had to reschedule. And the only place I could do it was for two weeks later. And my jaw was wired shut. My jaw was sealed shut. Um, so I had to just sit there and like kind of clench my teeth and talk in the interview and be like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just a great candidate for Harvard, whatever. And, uh, but I, I didn't um, think that I was going to get into any of those schools because I remember right after my Harvard interview, I was like, I blew the whole thing, whatever. Uh, and ironically of the schools that I, um, ended up applying to Stanford was the only one I didn't get into. Mm. Wow. So go figure. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. And makes no sense all at the same time. <laughs> you know, I don't, it's fine. And I honestly, I thought I had a shot at getting into Stanford because my cousin went there and my cousin was, uh, my cousin's still alive. I shouldn't say was, um, my cousin, uh, played professional football and was a star at Stanford. So I thought, um, I had a good shot. Like he's actually, um, I think he's been inducted into the, um, the hall of fame. Oh, awesome. Uh, cause when I went to the museum, I took a picture of his placard or whatever. I love um, but that. at any rate, um, hi James. Uh, so at any rate, um, I thought I had a shot at getting it, but that might've been why I was rejected. Mm. So those things, you know, kind of come into a weird play. And I try to tell people like, okay, thank you for thinking that because I went to Yale, I'm smart, but there were a lot of dumb people that went to Yale. Like, you know what I mean? So you kind of have to see the forest for the trees and realize- But you are intelligent, but yes. Didn't George Bush go to Yale? 
I mean, that, that's, that's your like, point, right? But you are intelligent. Like so. You can say, if you have the right amount of money and the right amount of legacy, you could buy your way in any place and be like, ta-da. In fact, Bush spoke at my college graduation and oh, wow. his basically what he said was, when I was here, I had a B minus average. And then I went to Harvard Business School and I had a C plus average. And now I'm the president of the United <laughs> States. So see, like your dreams can come true. And it took all of my effort and strength to be like, bro. Brohima. Brosef. I mean, but that is kind of the message that we are sending to kids. I mean, and even looking and at the lies. last president. And it's lies. Like, and that's a problem. Like, I feel like we should be dealing with the fact that we just out now lying to these people. We are. 100%. We're out now telling just like a whole fabrications <laughs> because, <laughs> and it's, it's great to me. The I didn't see the Grammys cause I was working. I still have to, I, I, I you know, have it like pre-recorded or whatever. Cause I still want to watch parts of it mm-hmm. mainly cause I want to celebrate my, I had a lot of friends that got nominated yeah, and they, you yeah. know, um, not a lot of them won, but just the fact that I had a lot of friends in the industry that have been working their butts off yeah. for forever and finally got some recognition. Like I want to watch it just for that. Yeah. But the one thing, my takeaway from it was I was really happy that Beyonce won and, um, got the grant, like broke that record. Mm-hmm. Not because I'm the hugest Beyonce fan. Like I love Beyonce. No, I'm not trying to say it like that. But the reason why it meant so much was because the hardest working person got the most reward. Mm. And Mm. we haven't seen that in a damn decade. That is so true. We haven't seen that in forever. Are you kidding me? Very valid point. You know, it was nice to see the hardest, the one who you constantly see being like, I'm on this meal plan. I'm working out with these choreographers. I'm in the studio till four in the morning. I'm taking vocal lessons. I'm doing this. I'm learning about blah, blah. She might as well be learning about string theory. Like, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, she's probably learning how to be an aerialist and how to, you know, solve, uh, you know, the genetic code. But she doesn't see, stop. That's for sure. You know she does but not stop. My point stop. is to see the hardest working person get the just reward was really refreshing. Yeah. Really, really refreshing for me. It's interesting that that is that has been kind of the culture we have seen lately. That you don't have to work very hard to get accolades. It's and almost you're celebrated for not working hard. Yeah, you're almost celebrated for not doing crap. I don't know when. I'm not I mean, even mad that Kanye West sure. album won because he worked really hard on it. Right, right. There was a massive amount of energy of work that came from that record. You know, mm-hmm. it employed hundreds of people. Yeah, there's people something that we know. to say. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and there's something to be said about somebody who is putting in the work, creating the employment spreading the resources yeah, and to see those people get recognized and validated is nice. Finally. Right. But like, why I mean, do you I think that it, became a culture? Well, um, because it became a culture of celebrity. Mm. And when you made it a culture of celebrity, you took out the work because now what's important is the celebrity aspect of it, not the work aspect of it. So anything that comes out where a person is already famous and they've worked even marginally hard is celebrated as this genius. Like, Mm. listen, I love the Silk Sonic 
Bruno Mars, Anderson Pack. It's great. It's a throwback of shy lights and dramatic songs. It's not like they reinvented the it's wheel. Yeah, but yeah. because you haven't heard a song that had decent, not even complicated chord changes, but just a, a bridge that went somewhere else. People are like, oh my God, this is the most revolutionary thing of all time. And that makes me a little sad. Yeah. Well, you have to think though, the the youngest generations now that is new to them. They don't know. What it, I mean, you even saw when, you know, when Kanye did that song with Paul McCartney and Rihanna, they were like, oh, who's this Paul McCartney guy? And I was like, oh, my word. I know. It was really sad. And it was kind of cute to see. I saw some of the excerpts of the video of Silk Sonic performing in the Grammys. And I wanted to say so badly, like, they got this aesthetic for my uncle because my uncle did that for Earth, Wind & Fire. He was the one that made the black background and he really? put LED lights. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, I love for um, let's prove tonight. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and the double image—that's all my uncle. That I was all that. Bill, all Bill with. And he gets no credit, and it sucks. But you know, I'm trying to find ways to get his name more associated to those things because I mean, that was a genius move, and mm-hmm. it's getting borrowed so much now. And I yeah. wish that people knew that a that was created artistically. The artistic direction of that was by a black man before they had a name for an artistic director for a tour. My uncle was a costume designer. And a lot of times he ended up artistic directing shoots and um, pulling back. Like he would make dresses and make outfits and save reams of fabric to use as the backdrop. Wow. You know, before long before people were doing that. Yeah. So How I wish. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and I'm hoping that I can get more eyes on that just to celebrate him because I do think that it's important to know that there were and are so many black and not even just black but people of color in the technical aspect of these things that are making the iconic images that we're globbing onto there's a whole machine behind that yeah yeah so I want to kind of shift gears I still want to talk about the entertainment industry but I know that you had an experience of being on The Voice mm-hmm. and just in you saying, you know, there's this focus of celebrity and, you know, obviously social media plays a part in that. It, in my experience of watching The Voice, I actually don't think it has been that much about The Voice. So I'm just curious what your experience was like and what you do think of reality competition shows for singers. Well, they're a double-edged sword because now they have been so ingrained in the lexicon of the American psyche that you're not going to be able to escape them. And so unfortunately, a lot of good singers are gonna have to do reality shows just to get jobs, which I don't know if that paradigm is ever going to shift. Mm -hmm. But the one thing I will say about The Voice is that while I think it's an amazing machine and I love the people that it employs, I think that, It has a great platform for arrangements, for trying new things. I think The Voice, more than any of the other reality shows, does a great deal with experimenting and trying out uh, new arrangements, showcasing talent in a way where the talent 
if they have the right amount of resources, could take what they had from the voice and harness it in a specific way. Mm -hmm. The issue is they don't give you those resources after you're done from the show. So when people have asked me, should I do the show? I'm like, yeah, but you should be strategic about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, you know, I've signed a whole bunch of paperwork that I think now, since I'm done with that part of the show, doesn't have the same hold, but I'm not trying to disparage the show at all. But what I wish could happen, it's almost one of those things where I wish I had enough time to devote to this because I would. I wanted to um, ultimately start um, almost like a house where if you make it to the top 10, you get sent to me and we get you good headshots good lighting. We shoot a music video for you. We help you flush out a single so that Mm -hmm. when your episodes air and once you're done out of your 30 day opt out from whatever, we can take that and help you market the skills that you would get. To build on it. Yeah. Yes. And I feel like if that happened, the voice brand would grow. The problem is the voice has made it about the coaches more than it's made it about the brand. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a fatal mistake. Because the reason why American Idol can always come back in any reboot and whatever is because it can tell you it's made five superstars and 12 stars. Yeah. Yeah. Five superstars. Yep. Yeah. There are no superstars from The Voice. Yeah. None. Not a single one. Not a single one. And the most famous person from The Voice is famous because she was killed. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So if you don't address this in your model at some point, it's got a shelf life. Yeah. 10 years. I mean, it's great run. 20 years. Great run. I'm not saying, you know, it's not going to have a long run, but it does have a shelf life and it's reboots will always have a shelf life as well until they find a way to make a superstar from the voice. And I've never seen one because it's not its focus, but it could be if the right people were given the right avenues, Mm -hmm. even the people who win the voice. Like I've never heard a single come out of a voice winner where I was like that. Or just that's a damn shame. I feel like I can name, I know like Javier, I know. uh, But the single they gave Javier when he won was not good. Yeah. And Javier now has wonderful music out that I wish, and I know that that wasn't Javier's choice. He was given some writers and they were like, we're going to give you this paltry bullshit and (laughs) here you go. And if they had allowed Javier, who's a very talented writer, to be included in that choice, Mm. to grow what the brand of him, because he had a very specific brand, even then. Yeah. It could have made him into it, and they should have. They really had, I honestly think they blew it with Javier. And uh, several of the other winners that were talented. You know, the only person I think that who's gotten it right, and it's only because she is of her own mind and had a team and knew what to do once she left was Judith Hill. That's mm. the only person I think. And and they owe her a great debt because she's really the most famous person from the voice that they have. But she didn't even win. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when you saw who won and Judith didn't win, you were like, how sway? (laughs) Like everybody that year was like, right. You're like, really? (laughs) But it's better for her that she didn't. I guess. But you know, the only, the only time it ever, the 
and this is, I might get a lot of flag for saying this, but whatever. Um, the only time I ever saw it like that blatant was when an, an American Idol Fantasia was up against Catherine McPhee and you were like, yo. <laughs> <laughs> like if Fantasia hadn't won, you just would have been like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, American Idol okay. had some, some eyebrow raises. But oh, they had some questionable wins where I was just like, yeah. Listen, I was the dude who won my season. I was really proud that that guy won. Of American Idol or The Voice? Of The Voice. Oh, I was like, you did American Idol too? Nah. Who won your season of, was it? Um, this guy named Craig. Ooh, I can't forget. I can't remember his last name. And the only reason why I am happy that guy won was because he was like me. We were vets in our industry and he had been touring all over dope songwriter, dope singer, had the experience and he won on Blake's team. I think if I had to do it all over again, I would have probably gone to Blake's team. I think he mm. was probably the most straight shot. And I think that he, of all the coaches, does the most for his people. And I think he I allows think them to be him- authentic. That's but I've also seen him like be involved in helping them get demos once mm. the show is over. You know, I think that of all of them, he's the realist because he grew up as a sideman and then got famous. Mm. You know what I'm saying? All the rest of them were like personalities. But Blake's the only one who was like, I was a side dude. I was writing in Nashville da, 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 before I got on as a solo artist. Mm-hmm. So he understands. No, he I think he appreciates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, how difficult it is to be in a, hu- a hustler in your industry. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I think when you came out of it with, like, when you came in the gate, like, already having a manager, an agent, and a da-da-da, and you didn't know what it was like trying to get $75 out this bar to pay the entire band, <laughs> you have a different swag with it. You know what I'm saying? That's such a real I will statement. always appreciate Bruno <laughs> Mars because I met him when he was young. Mm. I was doing this show um, at uh, the King King called La Fleur de Sons, and he was the act that played after. And this was before he was famous, anything. But he had such a hustler spirit about him, and he saw the show that I was in and asked me to guess, so I would guess in his show. And he would make maybe like $250 for the whole thing. He'd split what he had with, you know, whatever the door was, he split it with the entire band. And if there wasn't enough, we went to Dupar's and he would use the money to pay for us all to have food Mm. at Dupar's. Like there's something about somebody who takes one for the team and always thinks of the team. Like if you, I think that Bruno's success is because he's uber talented, but also because he never forgot the team. So he's Mm. always taking care of the team. And as he grows, he finds ways to make the team grow. That's, that's what a boss does. And that's why, you know, he will always have a high place in the lexicon of music. It's the same reason why Anderson Pack is famous. Anderson Pack has had the same band for 10 years. Mm. He's had the free, the free nationals have been with him since jump. So as he grew, he was like, we all get on. Now the Free Nationals have a record. Now we're going to do individual albums of people and the Free Nationals. You have to grow your team. And that is an important lesson is tribe. You know, the reason why you were saying it meant a lot to you that I brought you groceries is because we made a, we, we decided we were tribe a while ago. Yeah. So it was that reminder of, oh, tribe has got me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I put in the tribe. 
Yeah. If you didn't put in the tribe, tribe wouldn't have you. Right. Amen to that. You know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like these are the lessons that the universe, my creator, is constantly hammering home to me. <laughs> So, I mean, you've been in the industry for a very long time, and I'm sure you've, you've obviously seen the ups and downs, but and people like to focus on the challenges, but what has been the most rewarding thing for you? I think the most rewarding thing for me lately is realizing the power that I have to connect the dots. I didn't think that I had as much power as I do. I didn't think I had as many connections as I do. I didn't think I had as many beneficial relationships as I do. Mm. And that realization of like, oh yeah, I have been in this business for 20 years. Oh yeah, I do know this person. Oh yeah, I can make this call. Oh yeah, I can connect this dot. And it was that kind of, I think the thing that's been the most rewarding is taking the energy that comes from being disappointed. And there is a disappointment when you feel like the Calvary isn't coming or like, I don't have, like the savior isn't on the way, right? But I found that knowing that, okay, the Calvary isn't coming, but I have the capacity and the ability to build my own Calvary was a really big win for me. I want, I want to shift gears a little bit because you've recently been very, very vulnerable and open on your social media posts. And um, I think you may have, you know, given information about yourself that a lot of people may didn't have known before. Maybe. And I didn't realize that. Yeah. 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 And I think also there's this in general, when people are very vulnerable, sometimes it may shock people because they have this perception that you're one way or they have the view of you one way or like, Oh, I didn't know this. And and I've had that response when I've been open about certain things as well. But, you know, a lot of people look up to you, a lot of people admire you. And I, and I know when you came forward and talked about your, your past as being a sexual assault survivor, I told you that I felt like you were saving people's lives. So what, I guess my question to you is what made you decide to want to be open about it now? Because it, it, it is your own story. And whenever anybody that is a survivor decides to talk, that is the right time. You know, there's no timeline for when you feel comfortable or when exactly. you, you know, so exactly. what made this the right time for you? Well, um, about almost three years ago now. Uh, okay. So let me backtrack. I was, uh, raped, uh, in 2000. Um, and I was just shy of graduating from college. Uh, I was raped in New York. Um, I was out with some friends. We had been drinking. I had too much to drink. And I kind of passed out a little bit in the bathroom and they left because they thought that I had left. So I was stranded and I had no way to get back to college, right? Because we were all on a college trip and they all went back to Connecticut. So I was stranded in New York. Um, and I was trying to figure out how to get back to the train. This man who was in a security outfit said he would help me. And instead he pushed me down um, uh, into a brownstone, the basement part of the stairwell and raped me at knife point and cut me very badly. So because of that, I had to get a fairly detailed rape kit process because I had wounds um, and, I was able to get away, um, but I still was raped, I guess. You know, I don't know how long you can say, like, I was, you know what I mean? Because that's another thing that I was kind of been talking about. Like, I mean, it's, 
it's been very, very difficult for me to even tell the details of my rape. Like that took a really long time. So anyway, just getting to why I started talking about this about three years ago, my rape kit came up as being, uh, in conjunction with another woman's rape kit that we might have the same rapist. Mm. And I went ahead with, they asked me to resubmit my DNA so that they could do a compare and out because my rape kit was 20 years old and it sat in a laboratory for seven years. I paid to process my own rape kit. Wow. I paid to, because I found out at the time Uh, In New York, rape had a statute of limitations of 10 years. And since my rape kit had never been processed, there was no way to even go look for my rapist. So I paid, I paid the money and they offered this lab. It was an independent lab. And they said, you know, we don't have the funding from New York, but if you want, we can process your kit if you pay this fee. So I I paid it. It was, it was an entire pay. It was a week's pay. I paid it. Mm. Um, And then, uh, so more than 10 years later, I got contacted um, by the DA's office. Um, and they said that my rape kit had come into conjunction as having matching alleles with another woman. So they asked if I would resubmit my DNA and if I would look at the mugshot of her accused person. So I felt like I had gone to therapy. I had gone to counseling. I had done the, you know, survivors groups, whatever. And I felt like I was in a good place. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I was stealing myself to possibly look at the face of my rapist. And then I submitted everything and the kits didn't match. So then I was sitting there going, I don't understand why this wound was reopened in this way. And I realized it really hurt still. And I realized it made me angry and afraid and I wasn't sleeping and all of the, it took me a long time to be able to sleep with another person's arm near me or around me because I would just wake up and feel like I was being choked to death. Mm. And so I felt like I did all of the work to get to a place where I didn't have that feeling anymore. And all of a sudden in one phone call and two emails, that feeling came. It was like, it it was like the same day. It was like, I was 21 all over again. And, you know, and then I also had scars that keloided. So I had, for the last 15 years, I've been getting injections in the scars to try to flatten them and nothing had worked. So finally, I had to go and get them surgically removed. And this was right around the same time that all of this happened. So So everything was just coming back up. mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I'm having this really hard struggle. So the first time I talked about it, I was in Australia. Um, I was there for uh, uh, the Brisbane uh, Fringe Festival, and I was performing with a group called California Crooners Club. And I remember I woke up and the same, I felt like I was choked. I felt like I was being choked and I just woke up crying. And I was just so upset because I was in this beautiful place. It was a beautiful day. 
I had this amazing apartment that they had secured for me. They had gone out of their way to put in this like gorgeous fruit basket and flowers and a welcome Miss Sykes, you know, and, you know, for every gig that I have where it's nice and there are flowers and crap, I've had 15 gigs where I changed in a Burger King parking lot. So it's not like I get a whole bunch of like, welcome Diva Maya. We're so, you know, that is the realest comparison, by the way, girl, girl. Just will the truth. It really is. Oh my God. I'll be like, can I get an impossible burger so I can change in your restroom? Okay, great. Um <laughs> is, I mean, I'm laughing because I go I'm like flashing back to all the times I've had to change in like a Starbucks bathroom or whatever. Cause it's just people do not understand. <laughs> We're digressing, but I can do everything but glue fake eyelashes while driving. Like I can do all the rest of it. (laughs) Right, right, right. But I need lighting and a still place to put on some lunches. (laughs) So I just remember waking up in that place and being so upset and crying, and I was just so angry that that was happening because this was the time that I should have been like, "Yay, life is so beautiful," and I wasn't. And so I shared my. I just said, this is how I'm feeling. And I made a post about it. And I said, it's a really long post. And so I probably did that, I want to say in 2019. And Uh I was so surprised at how many people resonated with that. So now whenever I have one of those feelings and I can get it together, I try to post it publicly. The anniversary of my rape was, uh, it just passed. It was on the 11th. And I realized, you know, that had happened 21 years ago. And for 21 years, it is still imbued in me some terror, some anger, some sadness, and feeling like that I never will have control over those feelings felt so isolating and hard. And I felt like, okay, if I'm feeling like that, and this happened to me 21 years ago, What about the person this happened to three weeks ago? Or what about the person who's experiencing ongoing systemic rape? You know, what about that person? And I'm not saying like, I'm this altruistic, whatever. I'm just saying that I thought it might be helpful to see that the strong black woman myth is a myth. Mm. I get that people think I'm strong but I have my moments and there are things that are hard and there are things that I struggle with. And there are things that are a constant portion of my mental health that I will always have to address in some way. And that doesn't make me weak. It doesn't make me strong. It makes me a human being. And so I guess I just wanted to show other people that being a human being and having vulnerabilities, it's, okay and it should be expected and it doesn't make you wrong. I think one of the things that I appreciate so much in in, in the statement that you just said is like, it just makes me human. And I feel like when you, when people look at you, you know, they see this beautiful woman, this talented woman that's achieved so much, they're not going to think that you, I mean, you don't think that naturally, but they're not going to think, oh, she's had this thing that she's been living with for 20 years they can come up at any moment. And a struggle. I, and not str- only yeah. liberal, I, like I struggle with it. Yeah. And I think for me, accepting that 
there will po- probably always be some struggle to it yeah. was really freeing because there was a part of me that was beating myself up that I was still feeling this way. Mm. There was a part of me that said, oh, well, this happened so long ago, you should be over it. And I had to really get cool with the fact that no, you shouldn't. Do you and feel nobody like, has the right to say that to you. Right. But do you feel like that is a common like misconception within society that people think that there is kind of like the statue of limitations on when you should be over your your experience. But that's why the statute of limitations of rape is so, the only people who advocate for it are people who haven't survived sexual trauma. Anyone who has survived sexual trauma will tell you that's the most asinine shit ever because it took me 10 years to say out loud that I was raped Mm. and not like completely disintegrate into a puddle. It took me 15 years to tell my mother the, the details of how my rapist cut me. Mm. And I, and part of it was because it was hard for me. The other part of it was because I knew it was going to be hard for my mother. The first time I told her, she was just like, you can't imagine somebody cutting your child, you know? And At the end of the day, my mom said, you know, going through this and finding a way to still live well is your responsibility and you have to do it for the ones that didn't get away. Yeah. And she's right. You know, I, I, I know many people that are are survivors and everyone's story is unique, but there is this feeling that, and that's why I bring up just kind of how society paints sexual assault and, and and survivors as a whole there is this feeling that there is a certain amount of time where you should get over it and mm-hmm. i i mean i couldn't disagree more but it breaks my heart that people think after 10 years after 15 years after 20 years like i'm not allowed to have this affect me anymore and it's i mean that couldn't be any further from the truth but it makes me sick that that, that that's kind of the message that is painted out there but it also usually is painted by people who control a narrative they mm. never have experienced. So, or that is hate to hate to go into. this way, or they're the you know, the or they're the aggressors. They're the aggressors. They're the, yeah. Yes, and 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 that's very true. I think a lot of the laws that are protecting the aggressors were made by other ones, and I think they're a weird little club. And I hear. The one thing that at being in the entertainment world, especially if you're in live entertainment, gives you access to is what people are really like. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. I am, I have been requesting when I sing at certain parties that they have me sign an NDA because I don't ever want (laughs) to be approached about what I saw. Mm. I've seen some ill shit. I'm sure. I mean, we all know the entertainment industry as a whole is just unbelievably corrupt. Yeah, but when you're the entertainment, they think you're invisible. Yeah. So, well, and that's why get, I said that. That's why I, I, I said that to you. Shit. When you just even that moment, the fact that you just remembered my name within two weeks, like that meant a lot to me because I do feel often invisible. It just in 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 general, you know. Because you are, and you it's are crazy. until yeah. until you're visible for their gain. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. like. It's one, I love the Sayers Club and I loved all the people, whatever, but I could also tell when there was a shift because mm-hmm. then 
there was this whole like you know I was a little treated like the help but they kept being like the queen's here and I would always have to flex being like okay but then why'd y'all hand me up outside and then I'd always have to get a manager to like flex on some you know I'd be like okay well if y'all is calling me the queen shouldn't you at least circulate why okay if why you treat me like a peasant queen, why is my picture not here mm. if y'all are calling me the queen why you know First of all, I was probably one of the few people that regularly sang there that tipped the staff. Mm. Mm. There was a reason why they were nice to me. Yeah. There was a reason why I could go to the bar and get whatever I wanted every time. There was a reason. You build yeah. those relationships. Yes. yes. And and half the time they wouldn't even take my tip. So I'd have to wait <laughs> and store up like a hundred dollars and be like, he, I would give it to Brian and be like, Brian, break everybody off. And he's like, Maya. And I'd be like, Brian, break everybody <laughs> off. But there was a reason why the yeah. people at Sayers went to bat, but you know, especially the staff, we made a relationship. Mm -hmm. I remember once mm -hmm. my purse got stolen, they shut everything down and found it. They found my purse, found the people who took it. Mm. And uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Torrance handed the dude up against one of them gates at the Hollywood suit outlet until the police came. I'm the, no bullshit. I love it. <laughs> no bullshit. So that staff, you know, staff had my back. I had theirs. But when the staff right. changed over, A, we couldn't build those same relationships in the same way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I kind of saw that, like, when they didn't survive, I was like, oh, I get it because it wasn't the same anymore. Right, right. But it was, right. a, I felt bad. I mean, I felt like they didn't survive because of the Rona, but I wish that we had gotten a chance to say goodbye to it properly. Same. And Rockwell just closed too. Really? Yeah. Damn. They just announced it. I know. Today? Uh, yesterday. 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 Yeah. I was in a hobble yesterday. I was like, what happened yesterday? Everybody's <laughs> been telling me all these details. Like, what was I doing? <laughs> I've had days like that, too, where I've just been like, was I in a cave? <laughs> was I there? Jesus. Uh, I have to write these. I've been writing a lot of top line lately for different oh, companies. Good. So I got to write this top line for the city girls type of song. Mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. like, okay. I'm in my 40s. Like, I don't talk about my vagina in that much detail. So I'm really going to have to do some deep research. You're just going to have to like listen to WAP over and over and over again. I know, girl. I'm just like, all right. Like, I know. I mean, and, you know, I'm glad that girls feel that they can talk about their vaginas. And um, I, I'm not there. So good luck on I'm, that. I'm just like... <laughs> But it definitely is like one of those things where I was like, okay, so when I'm doing this, like it's for some TV show. So the actors will be doing it. Cause I was like, I don't want people to think that this is my lane. Right. Like, I don't want people to think that my new like, I'm just getting the paycheck is coming out at the end of 2021. <laughs> I have tears. Like <laughs> coochie drip the video. Like oh, it's not gonna happen. Gosh. Oh no, 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 no. Okay, so you know, now we're, we're, we're into 2021. What would you say before we wrap up that you have learned about yourself in the last year? I feel like it's not that I've learned it. It's that I knew it and that the universe keeps reaffirming, like, stop getting brand new. Like, remember what you know, you mm. know stuff for a reason. And the universe keeps confirming the same lessons. And the first one is if it feels awkward at the start, or if it sounds way too good to be true. Mm. And the second is 
allowing your intuition to be a part of you. I think this industry teaches you to forge ahead and on the one hand says, use your intuition, but on the other hand, makes you suppress it to get a dollar. And so part of what I have been learning is since I've been forced to be more independent, forced to be in scenarios I didn't expect that utilizing my intuition in the right way and being open to that is the move, you know? It, mm-hmm. it, I've had to learn a lot of stuff. I still have to learn some stuff. Like, I mean, I've had to learn Pro Tools, Logic, editing software. Like, I feel like an episode of Amon, like every day. I'm like, from Tuesday to Thursday, I'm a cleaner. From Wednesday to Thursday, I'm a nail technician and a neurosurgeon. Like, I'm serious. Like, and you're like, still Amon, I gotta get a job. Like, no, I'm really <laughs> serious. Like, I'm like, okay, I am my own. There's a weird expectation. I don't know if you're feeling this too, but the same money I used to get to just show up and sing somewhere, now I'm expected to provide two camera angles and ancillary sound. I'm like, when did this leap happen where now I'm supposed to be my own AV? We're our own production and it happened in crew. like two months. It's like wild. I'm my own AV team. Like I don't understand. It's, and it seems like every yeah. little bit of money I get, I have to take some of it and invest it into a new piece of gear yes, that's girl. missing. That may, I mean, it's just like, man. So I'm like, okay, once you go down this rabbit hole, whatever. And I also learned, I learned something really important. It's great that I can be self-sufficient and I'm very grateful, but I learned that I don't like it. I learned <laughs> that I like people. I like to work with people. I like to work with people who are experts in their field so that I don't have to try to make myself an expert through nine YouTube videos and a LinkedIn learning tutorial. <laughs> I like, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to comment on that because I completely agree. I don't like that. I have to have the right lighting. I you know, the nice camera, the good mics, the all of that, because like I said, we become our own production crews and I agree. I, I have learned that I don't like doing any of that. However, I will say for me personally, the value that I've learned in that is that now if something isn't right, I know how to speak up about exactly. it. Exactly. And I'm grateful for the, it, it made me all the more grateful for the relationships that I had been forging because there was always, I've always been a person where I'm like, oh, that person looks like they know what they're doing. Let me befriend them so I can ask some questions. Right. And that when I need something to do, I can hire this person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But some people come at this like, let me go exploit that person for everything that they got. And I'm like, see, I hope that the shutdown, the pandemic, whatever changes that, that there's more of a, understanding that, no, this is a person of value that should Mm. be a resource that you also put into. If you don't put into your resources, they will leave. Yes. (laughs) So I think that's also been a really important lesson in establishing what your resources are first, and then really finding ways to make sure that if you have to be a one-man island, you can be but that your island still is populated with a rich amount of stuff for you to draw from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because my problem was I was a one man island with a tin can. You know what I mean? (laughs) That visual is hilarious. You're like, here's my can. I'm going to try to get all this stuff. Oh my gosh. Maya, I, you know, I absolutely love you and adore you. And I just, I value your friendship so much. And, I've 
learned so much from you over the years just by watching you, but also in our in our personal conversations. So I was happy that we were able to finally do this to sit down together. So what's next for you? What do you have coming up? And let everybody know also where they can follow you and all of your incredible work. The thing is, I have been trying to figure out what the actual next move is. And so I have a couple of things that I'm working on, Mm -hmm. but I'm really trying to have this stillness so that all the stuff that I'm working on can come out at the exact same time. So I'm just kind of doing, um, so the few things that I'm working on, I've been talking about doing this for years, but I finally just got a better camera and figured out how to shoot it myself because that was the thing that was stymieing me about that is I'm shooting a series called Ask a Black Girl So um, each week there'll be little episodes that talk about various details and uh, there'll also be little one minute segments that I'll put on like TikTok and social media. Um, And I'm just covering different things like how to pack two weeks worth of stuff in a carry-on, how to take a makeup kit and pare it down to a clear TSA and you didn't have to do anything, um, how to start, um, in investment and options trading, how to start, um, saving like tricking ways to have automatic savings happening, you know, things like that. So just covering different topics and life hacks from a black girl. I love it. Yeah. And so, and like, that's the whole thing is like, you know, if you ever want to know, ask a black girl, um, because (laughs) I found that to be true. Uh, I love it. And so we'll see how that goes. And then I'm still, I've been working on uh, some original music for a while now. So now I'm trying to figure out which of the songs I want to release and in Mm -hmm. what way. And Mm -hmm. so a part of me was like, okay, I was shying away from releasing anything because I'm like, how are you going to promote it? How are you going to tour it? How are you? How are you? How are you? So I've been trying to figure out different ways to do one or two songs at a time and then do like maybe a couple of Twitch shows or something like this so that I'm still performing this stuff, but I'm doing it in a way where it's kind of meaningful. So I got um, access to a space. And now that, you know, more of my band friends and musician friends are getting vaccinated, uh, the space is going to allow me to film there. Because that was the other thing I was like, okay, I can set it up in my house, but it's like, okay, me playing tracks on my well, like it's just, I, it's it was bumming me out. Like, I'm glad yeah. that people were open and receptive to being like, we'll see you in whatever context. Like, that's really, really sweet. But I also just want to say I'm providing, I want to up my game. So yeah. I'm like, okay, if that means I need to wait and do it this way and recruit this person and have a little bit more money. Um, you know, so mostly what I've just been doing is hustling and saving so that mm-hmm. I have the right capital. Um, and I know, you know, in the past you would do what like GoFundMes, whatever but you know people are really hurting so there's a part of me that's like let me just do a couple of small things at a time and wait till people bounce back before i'm like hi give me money do you know what i mean (laughs) it's hard it's that's the the musician life you're like but yeah i get it i get it but just i'm trying to do things that just don't make sense you know and i was trying to make it so that it was, wasn't the most taxing thing for me, for sure. but that it also wasn't an unrealistic ask. Yeah. yeah you yeah, know? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Let everyone know where they can follow you. I am on uh, all the social medias uh, on Instagram. I am at Maya Sykes. My name's 
uh, funny to spell, it's M-A-R-Y-A. And then Sykes like Wanda Sykes, but I don't think we're related, but big up. Have you tried to find out if you are? I don't know, but I'm always um, really happy that they give uh, me her makeup discount at um, Namie's because it's sizable and every little bit helps. And her discount's like 20% larger than mine. I am obsessed with that. I think you should find out if you're related or if not, just tell her, just be like, hey, I feel like, you know, <laughs> if she was my cousin, that wouldn't be surprising. Like, right, I'd be right. like that, that tracks, like that tracks. Um, yeah. So Maya Sykes on Twitter, I'm Maya Sykes one on, uh, Facebook. If you want to follow my, um, artist page, it's, um, Maya Sykes entertainment. What else? Um, uh, my website is mayasykes.com and, uh, there's going to be you a like TikToker. A new, um, no, I need to probably become one, but I'm, I'm just trying gonna... girl. It's there's just so much. You have a baby. Like, I don't <laughs> I don't even have that excuse. I'm just like, oh my God, you guys invented another thing for me to it's do. And I'm so tired. I get it. You know, I I, did it. you see that um, uh, Leslie Jones uh, Netflix special? She was like 20 year old prayers versus 40 year old prayers. No. And she was like 20 year old prayers. Jesus, please let there be free drinks and please don't let me get any venereal diseases. 40 year old prayers. Jesus, why am I so tired? I'm taking the vitamins, like you said, Lord. And truer, truer words have why not been so uttered. Like every time they come out with a new one of these things, I'm like, Lord, I don't, can you just please invent a multivitamin that gives me some patience and some strength, Jesus? Because I I barely know how to use Instagram. And then For I real. just got to 10,000 followers. So now I have to learn how to use a swipe, the swipe up. up. Yeah, that, that's But I'm like, thing. I barely, I'm looking at YouTube tutorials for that. And now I have to learn a whole new discipline, Jesus. Like, You're hilarious. There was a New York Times cartoon that so was like, weird. I'm too old to, to be like, in the social media world, but I'm also too young to be this out of touch. Yes, yes, that's how I feel. And also I'm too old to be, to care. Yeah. But I'm too young not to. And right, it's horrible. Right. But also as an entertainer, sadly, you feel like you have to do this stuff. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And I'm just yeah, like, yeah. oh, damn it. Yeah. And that's why I was like, I just plan. Now I'm just like, okay, because I could, this was making me exhausted. Like the only reason why I wore makeup and partially did my hair is because I'm going to take some photos. So I have some content to roll out because this is exhausting. Yeah. Uh, you know, this whole, I'm supposed to post two to five things every day and tell you about every detail of my life. Like, I'm not even that damn interesting. Like, are you serious? So now I have to come up with ways to be like, see, I had a sweet potato today. Like, yes, that's exactly what you were supposed to post. Jesus I'm not even kidding. Christ. I'm just, and, we'll figure it out. We'll um, figure it out. All the, you know, the food things and the, I wish I was a better person about being like, let me take pictures of what I'm eating. Let me take pictures of a sunset. Let me take pictures of, I'm just not her and trying to ingrain that into my personality when that is just so against type has been a weird mind screw for me. And then you got to think about lighting and angles and like, oh, it looks blurry. Girl, oh, it looks I have so many damn lighting and angles. And I was just like, this is so expensive. I have a whole studio in my house. I have backdrops, Melinda. Yes. Multiple yeah. back yeah. props that I ordered from AliExpress and I was so happy they were on sale. <laughs> It's all needed. It's all needed. But it's, it's sad. I was it like, is. okay, I don't know what I'm gonna need this Kyoto <laughs> backdrop of cherry blossoms, but and trying to like test it out. Like I'm trying to get better at photo photographing and yeah. filming myself. So part of it is just like I don't even know 
I don't even know. The There's best tips I got, honestly, I wish, I know Stevie, Stevie Mackey um, teaches voice classes, but mm-hmm. I wish he would teach a content um, set up your shot thing. Cause he gave, he's the person that really upped my game there. Oh, awesome. I don't think people know this because he's such a mu- music guru, but mm-hmm. his education is in photography. Oh, wow. I mm-hmm. had no idea. Yeah. So That's he was like, cool. and I'm just going to, since people will hear this and I think it's a gangster ass tip. Um, don't sue me, Stevie. But um, one of the things that he said was whenever you frame your shot, um, take a small object that represents you and put it in the frame first so that you can see it through the lens. And then mm. you can set up how the shot goes. So then you know exactly where to stand. Interesting. That, that's been G. Huh. That's been awesome gangster. That is, mm-hmm. that's a good It's like set up the shot first, like where you, because if you set up the shot first, where you should go, you can pick out all the lighting and see where it goes. Then you right. so you see exactly where that shot is. Right. And you put an object as a stationary, so that will be where you stand. Then you go yeah. back and check the image. Makes sense. And it'll tell you like, oh, you should adjust the, you know, your st- you should stand over here. You should stand over here. Right, right, right. Right. As opposed to taking the photo and then running back to look at it. Right. Which is what I was doing, and it was helpful. I <laughs> love it. Well, Maya, you are a pleasure, and I'd love. Thank to you. Likewise. Thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners, make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye.